Well, this morning, uh, we're taking a, a brief pause on our Founders of the Faith series that we've been doing. Um, and we're delighted to have a guest uh, with, us, with us this morning, Pastor Sam Strauss, who is from one of our mission partners, Liebenzell Mission of Canada. So, um, Sam, come on up wherever you are. Uh, there you are. And uh, I'm just going to pray for you a moment before you uh, begin in uh, your ministry to, to us this morning. So, Lord, we thank you for Sam. We thank you for his work with Liebenzell and his heart for your work across Canada and across the globe. Lord, I pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit as you work through Sam to minister to us this morning. Would you richly bless his ministry both today with us and in the years to come? Amen. Amen. Thanks very much, Pastor Justin. Thank you to everyone involved in the service and the tech and in the music and anyone responsible for uh, uh, inviting me to come. Uh, it's wonderful to be with you. Nice to connect a little bit with some of you. Uh, and uh, yeah, just a real privilege to, to worship with you um, in song, in prayer, and, and now also in sharing the word. Um, I think it'd probably be good to introduce myself. My name's Sam Strauss. Uh, my wife, Anne, uh, is here with me. She's a nurse. Uh, I studied, uh, actually not far from here, uh, science, and then uh, continued on to Germany to study theology. Uh, and uh, the two of us uh, were sent by Liebenzell Mission uh, of Germany at the time, but also in conjunction with Liebenzell Canada, um, to Bangladesh, where we served from 2004 until 2020. Um, so we were uh, many years there. We learned the language and loved uh, just how... Uh, God opened doors there and also challenged us with life and ministry and partnering with churches and social ministries uh, in Bangladesh. Uh, in the meantime, uh, uh, God has uh, worked things out wonderfully um, for us to get to join the Liebenzell Canada team. It's a privilege to get to be here now. Um, so I was kind of raised here in Alberta and in Ontario, and now after 20 years of being gone, I uh, get to be back again. It's uh, great. So we are still technically an immigrant family. Uh, we're hoping, uh, actually, uh, I don't know if maybe this, I shouldn't say it, but I'll say it anyway. Um, we're going to hand in our PR application today, finally. Um, it's due tomorrow. And then uh, just sort of commit that to the Lord, that uh, he would also open the path for us to get to stay here and to serve uh, in different ways with Liebenzell Mission uh, of Canada. Um, I'm a, a team leader for uh, the German staff involved in uh, church planting in Toronto, uh, as well as uh, training missionaries and young people um, as they prepare to serve in other cultures. Um, so uh, that's uh, some of the main parts that I get to be involved with. Um, yeah, so I hope uh, that gives you a little bit of an introduction. I know it's kind of a stranger popping in in a service, um, just that God would bless us. and. Uh, I'd like to uh, read a passage of scripture, and then we would uh, pray um, together. Um, if I can ask the, the gentleman at the back, uh, we'll put up the words from 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, verses 1 to 8. I hope you can read that. I guess it's a little bit smaller than your traditional font. Uh, forgive me, I'll uh, have to make a mental note of that. Um, but uh, let's uh, just have a look at this here. Um, 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 8. I think it's on two slides. Uh, the apostles write, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. 
as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, uh, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were gentle among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Maybe a couple of introductory comments. Uh, when uh, I was asked to, uh, to come, I had been in the process and still am of just reading up on discipleship as a topic, um, a topic that moves me. And I, I realized just sort of having been here now a year and a half, sort of trying to get life work and, and trying to figure things out, getting kids established in a new school and all my old friends from youth, almost all of them are gone, reestablishing, reacquainting, and then also just trying to build new relationships. The whole concept of walking with people sort of slipped off the radar. And, and I don't know, maybe I'm making excuses, but I, I realized that this is, this is uh, really important for me and I think for all of us to be available to invest in people's lives. Um, so the concept of discipleship was sort of ringing in my heart, and as I felt uh, God drawing me to this passage for this morning, um, I, that was not my intention to be sort of contributing to maybe your ongoing conversation about finding a, a new pastor or filling that role that you have at this place, but maybe God's Word will sort of, uh, not inadvertently, but maybe speak into that uh, in some way, and uh, I just want to trust that um, as we look at God's Word, that um, God's Spirit, whom, from whom we sang and whom we've invited into our midst, would also be helping us to apply it in whatever ways that um, He sees fit. You know, Paul looks back in this passage we just read on the phase of ministry in Thessalonica and on his first time there, which was on his second missionary journey. I'll just read those two verses again. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. What an amazing testimony that is in Acts 16. I'm not going to read it, but just to remind you of a couple highlights, we'll look at Acts 17 and the passage that tells us about how the church in Thessalonica was founded. But in Acts 16, that whole thing with Philippi was really amazing. Um, if you kind of roughly recall what Paul and Silas must have gone through, the apostles started to meet with people that were maybe open to conversation and to prayer at the river, and uh, then they met some people, and they shared about Jesus, they connected with folks, and an amazing step of faith by that lady, lady Lydia, 
and uh, her household. And then the apostles get imprisoned in Philippi. You think you're serving the Lord, and then all of a sudden, huge roadblock. But as they're tortured with their feet in the stocks in prison, God amazingly rescues them from it. And through that rescue process, even reaches into the life of the head jailer and his family. And they come to the Lord. And then they get booted out of the city by the city officials, shooed out, please go with your message. But they did what they could. And something got started in Philippi. That's the context that Paul is writing about when he says, you know that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously. That outrageous treatment is what he's talking about. And that is the fresh memory, the fresh recent memory that the apostles carried into this next place, Thessalonica. Imagine if that's the the last thing you experienced. Prison, in stocks, and they sang in that prison. Amazing. Anyway, I don't want to focus on that, but I'm just amazed at the hardship that can be asked of God's people to advance something for his sake. Amazing. In the first two verses of uh, 1 Thessalonians 2 that I read, um, we saw that, that the apostles, they, they started to serve in their, own, in their own way there with suffering, and still they reminded everyone that it was through the help of God that they were able to do that, that they dared to tell the story. How was the Thessalonian church founded? How did it come to be? You know, the, the book of 1 Thessalonians, by most theologians, is acknowledged as the oldest New Testament document. And I would find it interesting to see in Acts 17, how did that get started? And how did Paul then get to writing these words? So can we uh, put that up? This will be divided up onto three slides. Uh, I won't focus on the details much. I just kind of want to get an impression. Because if you're going to crack open the book of Thessalonians, maybe it'd be good to hear how that startup, that church plant, began. So here we go. Acts 17, 1 to 10. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks, and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. They formed a mob and started a riot in the city, 
They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, uh, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Father in heaven, we invite you, as we did before your spirit, to work among us, to bless us and touch our hearts. Amen. Man, ministry can be tough. It's a joy. It's a job. It's a headache. And it brings salvation to open hearts. It's all true. I don't know the background to the founding of Courtright and the church here. I saw a couple things on the internet, but I didn't spend a lot of time doing research. I don't know whether this church was started, planted through great hardship, or whether it was a, a cordial thing. A, you know, maybe there are other churches you know that had other beginnings that were much more rocky. I, I don't know. All around the world, these things go in very, very different ways. But I think a knowledge of and a preparedness to walk faithfully despite challenges from within the church and outside the church. That's an important sign of maturity. Maturity as we look at our lives as Christians personally, as people who want to follow Jesus, and I trust you, you would like to do that. If not, I do pray that this service and that this place would be an invitation to you to consider throwing in your lot with him who is called King Jesus here. But also that we mature corporately as a local church, as a body, as a church connected with other believers. And I also think of the application of this word um, on a leadership, on a professional level. I'm kind of hoping we all find an application for ourselves, whether we're maybe in a leadership role here, whether we have a task like banging on the drums with Jacob, or of, uh, I think, uh, was it uh, Joan that uh, involved in prayer ministry, or somebody helping out in, in a capacity at Sunday school, or also maybe in a more of a, a leadership role. Each one of us can learn in this. I was moved by uh, I don't know if it was Pastor Justin's selection of this, I think the second song, there's a two-word phrase that got me. It said, uh, uh, continual renovation. Our life as Christians is a, is a, a constant renovation. We're a work in progress. We are, 
a construction site. Our hearts, our minds, our being, and also our church. So I think this text that we looked at from 1 Thessalonians 2 gives us some points to absorb, to learn for us ourselves personally, but also as a church, and then also points um, to avoid. Um, can we put the, the text up again, if you don't mind? Um, yes, those are the areas I think that, that, uh, that I'm thinking of as, as we look at this text. We dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. With God's help, they were able to risk it for the Lord and to start something where nothing had existed. Christ's name hadn't been preached in the Thessalonian area. And with God's help, they were able to begin. You can, um, I think, uh, advance to the, the next slide. Thank you. Reliance on God. If we want to invest in contributing to what God is doing in our area, in our families, that's where we start. We don't necessarily roll up our sleeves and pretend we got it all. We start by acknowledging that without God's help, it's nothing. If you're not connected to me, Jesus says, on the vine, then those branches will wither and, and there won't be fruit. But we want fruit. God wants to grow fruit in us. So with God's help, that we rely on him. And the apostles, they they reminded them of how their church was founded and said, we dared to tell you the gospel. This implies that any form of ministry, even just speaking to a child in this building or serving our family or in the Sunday school, or whatever the capacity might be, whatever we do for Jesus' name always requires a certain step over a threshold, a risk. We have to wager something. We have to put something on the line. Maybe it's embarrassment. Maybe it's the risk of being misunderstood. This seems to be a bit of the climate, having come back to Canada now, 20 years pause, and everybody just seems so easily offended. Man, it's, I, I, I don't get it. I, as an immigrant, I'm telling you, I don't get it. <laughs> like sometimes I just want to say, man, grow up, stop it. <laughs> People pick the wrong word. So do we as communicators. We try, you do your best, but don't hang on to these offenses. And realizing that, even now in this Canadian society, it's a risk to say something. The moment you open your mouth, you might be misunderstood. But still, but still, even if prisons threatened, Paul would put it on the line. We dared to tell you the gospel. And I shared already the strong opposition, this, this biting wind in the face. You say something about the man who died and rose again, and you get a reaction. Are we prepared for that? I know we're not apostles. I'm not an apostle. We don't typically believe that we have the exact same role that Paul did. But he speaks in the plural, and if you look at your Bible, 1 Thessalonians is written by three men. 
not just Paul. He got three gentlemen. You can go back and check. And I believe Paul is not just claiming his own apostolic authority here, but he's setting a pattern for all of us who are investing in any kind of work for the Lord to remind us, God's put you here. He's appointed this, this opportunity, maybe this teachable moment to invest in somebody's life. You're approved by God. You've been, you've been sent by him. He's, he has his ideas. And when we sing about the Spirit, we also need to release that micromanagement control of our lives and give him the space to bring us into situations that maybe we hadn't calculated for. To trust him. And to know that we've been sent into this world by him who's conquered death. That's, that's huge. And then to speak as those who have been entrusted with the good news, entrusted with the gospel. God's taken steps not only to create this universe we get to enjoy, but also to address its deeply rooted problem. It's corrupt from the core now. It doesn't just need tweaking. Constant renovation. Actually, even more. It needs to die and to be raised by God's pure life. That's what it requires. God will make all things new. He will make all things right. And we've been entrusted with an invitation, with a message to tell to the people of this world, of this country, southern Ontario, to the students of the university, to the kids on our street, to find ways to share this good news, this news that we have that Jesus is worth throwing our lot in with. That's a great treasure, entrusted. Not just given, entrusted. I don't know if you treat it as such, whether you think that's the gold that you've been given, but he's entrusted it to us. And Paul reminds us that that's actually amazing privilege. And one more point that I think we could absorb as people who, in the broadest sense, are all involved in ministering in God's church, whatever the layer of responsibility you and I might have. I think the last point I'd pick out here in this text is that pleasing God is our ambition. We'll look at the other sort of the negative side next, um, what we want to avoid. But pleasing God, that's, that's what we're out for. We want to honor him. We want to praise him. That's why we risk something for him. That's why we are willing to, uh, to put our money where our mouth is, to invest our time, uh, because we love the Lord and we want to respond to him. I think that's, that's the attitude of a disciple of Jesus that this text is trying to awaken. Let's go to the next slide and, and uh, see some of the points that uh, we, we maybe want to avoid, that uh, maybe we even want to repent from. A number of uh, things were mentioned here. Uh, Paul talks about, uh, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you, he says. 
error. Why would he start with error? I find that odd a little bit. Perhaps Paul and Silas and Timothy, the three gentlemen, writing this letter, they're thinking maybe of false doctrine or misplaced theological foundations or maybe just people being wrong on some things. Christ, the crucified, the risen king, is the one whom we want to follow. And so that means we are a constant renovation. That means we need to be correctable. I, was, I don't think correctable is a word, but that's, in German it is. <laughs> Works perfectly fine in my head. So I was looking for the word to say uncorrectable. And then I, it, a word came to me that I never mastered when I lived growing up here, which was incorrigible. I looked it up this week. That's the word. That's the one we need. How horrible is it for believers who have put themselves outside of a realm of being able to be corrected? If a believer is incorrigible, he's hollowing himself out to be used in, in ministry, really. All you have left then is your own thoughts. Nobody can come alongside you to guide, to love you, and to maybe help you take a turn on your path to to be back where you need to be. Doesn't mean everybody needs to know everything, but it does mean that there's a kind of a pride that sets in if somebody thinks they know everything. And I, that's, that's tough. But incorrigible people, you need to be corrected. We need it. And I think the isolation of COVID and that, that put us in a bit of a thing because we were all in our own little world and we got happy and safe with just us and the two, three loved ones maybe around us. Maybe some of us are even living alone. No correction there. No risk of embarrassment or anything. We need it. How can we sing that otherwise? Constant renovation. God uses people to correct us. So error. He says we did not speak to you out of error, nor impure motives. He's not in it for self-gain or popularity, the big bucks. You don't do Sunday school for popularity show. I know in things that I've been involved in in my own life, it is really encouraging if people just notice what you've done maybe tell you that, hey, you're on the right track, you're really blessing people, keep it up. You know, I, I like how you noticed that child and you bent down and you talked to him, looked him in the eye. Somebody notices you doing something sort of out of love for the Lord and his people, that's awesome. But we're not in it to get that, even though I don't think Paul's talking about it, but I do want to make a point, we need the encouragement but we're not in it for those words of praise. We're not in it to inflate our ego. No impure motives. We're not, not trying to trick. No trickery. One of the big uh, 
things I had to deal with in conversation with uh, the majority population in Bangladesh was an accusation that Christians come to Bangladesh to buy people. Give them a bag of rice and maybe they will be interested for the gospel. And I don't know missionaries doing that. Maybe that was in the past. Maybe there are some that have that kind of approach. I give and I hope I can twist. That, that's, that's not okay and that's not, not what, we, what we see Paul doing. No twisting of arms. We have a message. A message can be refused. It's an offer. It's an invitation. The gospel is an invitation. If we remember that, then we honor other people by letting them also have their own thought process and to get, get to a point where they can consider what uh, these truths are that we are speaking of. So we're not trying to please people. We're not using flattery. We're not masking any kind of greed. We're not hiding anything. This is, financial accountability is a huge thing. That was one of the first things I did in church as, a, as, the, as our young youth group. I got to be the finance guy. They gave me the bag and put it in, had a little log book, and that's where the faithfulness starts. You mess around there, the trajectory, unpredictable. That's not good. Right? It's not only you know, being on a church board. This is a regular aspects of life as a believer, as a person in my family, and so on. Um, the, the illegitimate financial uh, usage, um, that's, that's something that we need to be a lookout for and why I also need correction from others. If we are maybe in a path that's, uh, that needs, um, needs to be uh, repented from or, or, or stopped. So here are a bunch of things that uh, you can look through. Maybe there's a couple more that you find um, that uh, you realize that's what we want to avoid. We, we, we don't want to be um, doing church with bad attitudes. And we want to constantly be asking the Lord, uh, how do you see me? And, and also available for conversation with others about that. Uh, our mission had a, a recent mission friend uh, die, and uh, the, the funeral was this week. It was very moving. Um, he worked at a Christian nonprofit, and uh, he, he, uh, his, his kids uh, they, and his son, I think, uh, shared a little bit about a moment a number of years ago, a few decades ago, where he was offered the position to work in this Christian nonprofit in Elmira. And his wife and him, they began to pray about it, and um, they thought, well, that'd be a great way to serve. And uh, he could also walk to work and would be, would be interesting. While they're praying, he gets a lucrative job offer out in the prairies, but very good pay, and tailored specifically to him, and the company knew him from previous work with him, and uh, it was kind of a perfect fit, big money. And as they were praying these two options through now, the son shared that his father had recently shared with him that that was kind of a, a cross, crossroads. And they didn't really sense that God was forbidding one option and pushing the other. It was like, two options and him saying, you pick. 
And as they prayed about it, they ended up deciding for that Christian ministry and to work there. And at the funeral, his son shared that at that crossroads, um, that really, like, just to imagine how different everything would have been. It was a very interesting moment at a funeral for the family to take us along there. How different it would have been. They decided to live in Elmira, and he could walk and have time, take time to invest, and he did in his family. He said no to the big bucks, and he said yes to this responsibility to love the people around him. And he lived his life very transparently. And it was infectious, right down into the grandkids' uh, layer, seven, eight grandkids, I think, um, sang a wonderful song, and they shared about how he'd take each of them out fishing and doing these things. It was very moving. He shared the gospel and his life with them. I know I haven't gotten that right all the time. Who to invest in, how to love people, how to uh, be authentic. But I do believe as I am listening to God's word with you, as you're listening, that God wants to pick us up right where we are right now. A constant renovation. My heart is especially in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8. This is all the background, kind of, for what I really want to give you. This gem of a verse. I'm intrigued by this verse. I wasn't asked to fit this message into your ongoing uh, Founders of the Faith series. But I think it does, <laughs> in a way. Um, I think this is a foundational way to look at ministry and, and to get to look over Paul's shoulder to see what he's trying to be careful of, what he's trying to do. I think it could be considered foundational to any outreach effort. Paul had lived with the Thessalonian people for a short while. And God made it that some came to faith. And it seems Paul may only have been there for around three weeks. And despite that short time, he writes, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Like that man I just shared about. He shared the gospel of God and his life. How strange is it to you? I don't know how at home you are in reading the scriptures. How strange is it for you that Paul compares himself with a nursing mother? Does that not strike you as odd? You know? When did women get to start voting in North America? It's like 1,900 years later than this text. 
And he compares himself with that love that a mother has for her child. And these young believers were like that to him. That's the role he had. If I think of this text, I think of that weird science fact that if a mother's holding a baby, that distance here, eyeball to eyeball, is exactly the eye focus for a healthy baby that they can see and focus and get it. That's my mom. Can't say anything, can't say thank you, that's, that's it. Dependent. And that's what it is. A ministry is always involving people that risk something for the Lord. Looking back on their time together, the great apostle makes this comparison. There's no patronizing tone. It's just the simple fact that matters of faith need to be told to us by those who know, that they get demonstrated to us. We're deeply in need of and indebted to those people who've invested their life for us. I don't know if you can think of people like that who've invested their time, their money, their, you know, picking you up to drive you places or their experience, their creativity, and we weaving in God's invitation to accept his love into all of that. And that's maybe the word we've been waiting for, love. Paul says that we loved you so much. I guess the homework for today is to think through who are those people in whose lives, in whose living context God has placed you. And as you consider that, and maybe those moments that have been, that you maybe missed, or that sometimes come to be, that we consider how, how is that with me and my love for these people? How honestly do I love them? I don't know how Paul does that in three weeks or a month to be able to say he loved them, but he must have really been in tune with the Lord. And I think that's what this challenge is, to ask God, fill my heart with the love that you have for these people. Help my eyes see them with the compassion that you see. That could be a prayer for my involvement with my child, with a coworker, with somebody who's sick and not getting the healing they need, whatever it might be. This is, this is what we can pray for. Give me love. But the thing that blows my mind the most in this text is that Paul puts two things, I'm going to say side by side. We were delighted to share with you, and then he says, not only. We expect from people up here that come and preach, give us the word, give us the gospel, give us the truth, tell us what the stories of the Lord are. That's the proper theology. And Paul, he says no. He says yes, but he also says no. In Romans, if you just read that, maybe you think, yes, the gospel of God, that's it. That's the whole thing. But the reality is, when you come with a team beaten 
from prison in the last city and you go to the next place and you're there to serve and you're asking God for love, you put your life on the line. And so Paul says, not only the gospel of God were we willing to share, delighted to share, but our lives as well. That's what gets me in this passage. I think that's what led me to, to follow it. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. So there's three things that I just want to give us to, to hang on to. I think it's the final slide now. Just to, to break them down in little chunks, and maybe there's one of them that you feel is even more important for you personally, then hang on to that but delighted to share the gospel? Are you willing to risk something for the Lord? Are you willing to invest in somebody who maybe bugs you a little and to pray that risky prayer? Lord, fill my heart with love. And then to think about not only what did you experience as people invested their lives in you, into you, built into you, but also what is the opportunities, the resources, the, the open doors that God is giving you to invest your life in others. That's what Christian life, I think, is working towards, that we all get involved in that. And any church that just expects the gospel to be preached from up here and maybe a couple pastoral staff to love other people that hollows out what should be filled with life. We all, in our different areas of influence, our different responsibilities, and in our own personal lives and families, want to be loving others and sharing our lives with them. And I think that's why Paul risks it here, to put your error-prone life, and mine, aside the perfect gospel, because... If we don't risk it, maybe no one will. And then that perfect gospel doesn't arrive where it needs to. And of course we live as a people who know about forgiveness and know that God sees us in our neediness and also in our faults. But still he's chosen to use us. And so I pray that uh, if you do go back on this chapter, that uh, God would just bless you as you invest in individuals and in people you know, as you ask God to overcome that lack of love and to build that love in you, and that um, you would find creative ways to share your life with others. Um, it's for the kingdom, and the gospel's worth it. So is the King of Kings. I'd like to pray, and then we'll close. Father in heaven, thank you that you are alive. Uh, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you conquered death, and so you can conquer a hard heart. Thank you for Paul's openness and how they went about things in, in the Thessalonica. And I thank you too that we can learn from that. We desire to absorb what is good and to be aware of what isn't. And so I pray that you would bless each of us in this endeavor. Um, as the words of that song talked about this constant renovation, that you would be working new things in us. Even if we're older people, that we would be new because you are renewing us, you are helping us, you are challenging us. I pray for uh, this community, this church, the placement here in Guelph, 
that it would uh, radiate outwards, that there would be a love among this people that uh, people notice and uh, that they get a, a taste of what you're like as they encounter the folks here from Courtright. And so I pray your blessing on this house, on uh, this uh, fellowship, on the relationship network that this church represents. And I pray that you would open doors, fill our hearts with love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.